What is up, everyone? Welcome back to session number two on day number two of the Real Network Anatomy of a House Hack webinar. Again, the Real Network is an acronym for Real Estate and Healthcare Leadership Network. We're not out here just trying to find and empower healthcare employees or healthcare workers. We're out here trying to empower healthcare leaders. And there's of, of the people I've talked to, there's nobody that's doing that better so far than Mr. Greg Louie. He is the ski PT on uh, Instagram. His content is amazing. He it's it's entertaining. It's engaging. Uh, Greg loves working with skiers and he's built an entire cash practice and a massive online brand um, helping just serve that population. And um, we kind of connected through one of our mutual mentors, Greg Todd, uh, at a live event here down down here in Tampa. And we got to meet and connect and Greg just shared his story a little bit and said, dude, like, let's, I want to be on your podcast, talk about it more. And so we were able to connect and we recorded a podcast episode. You can uh, scroll back and see and hear more about that. Um, we'll cover a lot of the stuff today, but you can always go back and check it out. Um, again, uh, we want to thank all of our veterans. We're coming up on Veterans Day weekend here tomorrow. Uh, Greg is a veteran, uh, retired from the Coast Guard uh, Branch Military Service. And in honor of kind of the Veterans Day, um, any any pro proceeds that we raise off of the VIP or the recordings or anything like that, we're going to be making a donation to Liberty Manor. Liberty Manor is a nonprofit here in Tampa that helps veterans with housing. Uh, they have like 50 to 60 bed facility um, and they just, you know, serve the veterans. Uh, I think that anybody that, uh, you know, sacrifices their time and energy and family to defend our country and our freedom is someone that deserves deserves our support. Um, you know, historically, our country has not done a great job with uh, the veteran community. And so I'm hoping that, you know, over time that our community uh, can kind of partner with those folks. And so uh, if, if you're interested in donating or getting linked up with them or anything like that, um, you know, reach out to me and we'll make it happen. Uh, so, so yeah. So Greg, go ahead and introduce yourself. Again, thank you so much for joining us and helping me out uh, serve and uh, help educate the people. Yeah, man. Tommy, thanks for having me. Guys, thanks for coming on and spending um, your afternoon and evening. Uh, again, like Tommy said, my name is Greg. I'm the ski physical therapist, and um, I started my practice about a year ago. And um, I can go into a whole side of that if you're interested in like knowing how to start a cash pay practice or even just business in general, because that's like what I'm super passionate about. Um, but I really want to just talk about like my experience in a house hack. And if you listen to our podcast episode, kind of how it just like fell into my lap um, uh, as kind of some pressure from my mom, but also as a blessing as well. So. Um, yeah, before, before I went to physical therapy school, I went to the university of Washington and while there, um, I was just always, I felt called to, to serve other people. Um, and one of the ways I wanted to do that was to join a branch of the military. Well, I knew I didn't want to go to war and I didn't want to kill anyone. Um, but growing up, I swam a lot and I even swam in high school and I was like, oh, you know, the guardian just came out. Ashton Kutcher's role looked pretty cool. I think, you know, maybe the yeah, Coast Guard no, number two. On the yeah, the number two, because you're slower than me. <laughs> Super funny. So, um, yeah, so so I was like, you know, let's try it out. Let's let's see. So I started talking to the recruiter, basically got into this really cool um, reservist role where I was going to be able to do like military enforcement um of like just port security so um essentially like my role was being a glorified cop on like cop, like you play cops and robbers but like military style so my role was to defend a high value asset 
um, in the military. And it was skills that I had never like done before skills that I had never learned, but it was so much fun. I literally got paid to like basically chase each other around on the water, like doing mock scenarios. If someone was going to try and blow up like a huge oil tanker. Um, but that eventually led to me being uh, able to one, go to school for, for free for the first two years. Um, and then um, through the government, they did a little bit of like restructuring of their financial budget. Um, and then I had to utilize the, um, not the VA loan, but the uh, the GI bill to help pay for the rest of it. But essentially I graduated from undergrad debt-free. They, they paid for tuition and I was able to use um, a subsidy. Well, actually, sorry that the the school I was going to, the University of Washington had a half off program. So I was able to use um, the tuition assistance program that was available at the time to cover tuition. And then everything I took out of the GI Bill essentially covered my living costs. So I graduated undergrad debt free. And um, yeah, it opened so many doors that I didn't even know. Like, honestly, I come from a, a well-to-do family where they had planned for me to go to college and they saved all this money. And you know, I, I really didn't want to take advantage of that. I just wanted to do it all on my own. And even to the time going to PT school, um, I had this chance to deploy and go to Guantanamo Bay. And through that program, I would have been able to use the yellow ribbon program. Um, and I was so stoked on it. I was like, I'm going, I'm going to go to grad school for free, or if not half off, it's going to be super cheap. And my parents were like, no, you're not going. Like, if you go to grad school, if you go to PT school right now, we're going to pay for it. And I, I honestly was like, struggling. I was like, dang, like go to grad school right now. Like you guys are going to pay for it. Or should I go and like do this GI bill thing or go, go to Guantanamo and like get into the yellow ribbon program. And honestly, one of my biggest regrets today is not, not going to Guantanamo because um, one, I hear it's like such a good experience, but I think being away um, for a long time, like serving your country in that way, I was a reservist the whole time and I really wanted to deploy. And, and that's like one of my biggest regrets today is kind of not taking that opportunity um, and I personally don't think it would have changed the outcome on like what I do today. I still think I would have been a physical therapist, but who knows, maybe I would have gone there and maybe my outcome would be completely different today. But, um, yeah, do all those opportunities, went to grad school, um, graduated. And when I moved back home, I started <clears throat> living with a bunch of friends that I went to undergrad with and we were all living in the same house doing the same thing. But basically we were doing in college, you know, we were just hang out, go party um, on the weekends and then work our nine to five. Um, we all had different types of jobs, but essentially like right before COVID hit, my mom was like, hey, Greg, like you have all this money that you saved up from like undergrad that you didn't spend on tuition. Why don't you consider like going to buy a house? And I was like, oh, I don't really know. But then she explained like how like if you buy this house, like the rates are really good right now. It's the perfect time to get into the market. And all of the friends that you're living with can actually move in with you. And you can have the exact same situation that you have right now, but they're going to be paying you instead. And you're going to skip set on, like, on a good path moving forward. And I was like, yeah, sure. Not knowing anything about real estate or anything. So we started going and doing all these house tours. And I was like, man, this is so overwhelming. I don't even know what my financial position is. Um, but that kind of launched my interest in financial literacy and specifically like looking into real estate. And um, actually in the clinic that I was going to, I was like mentioning that I was looking at houses and one of my other patients was too. Um, and he's like, oh, I'm doing this more from like an investment side of things. And 
they kind of piqued my interest because one of my buddies that I grew up with, he joined the Navy and he got out of the Navy and was able to essentially like buy this house. And he talked about like renting it out. Um, and the income he was making from his rental house was able to support him. And I was like, man, this guy didn't even go to college. Like, not to say that he's not un uneducated, but he was essentially able to like teach himself how to real estate invest before like bigger pockets got big. But just by like asking people in the military community, like how he could like learn how to do this. And someone like now his mentor just basically like passed this knowledge down to him. And I hope like all of you guys here can take something from my story and everyone else's story. And just like, if there's only like one thing that you take from each person's story, it's going to be so transformative, like moving forward. So, um, yeah, yeah dude. So, so just like, I hate to interrupt you. Cause like yeah. you're, you are a master storyteller. I think that's one of my favorite things. Um, when we did our podcast, like you are such a good storyteller and I love it. <laughs> um, <laughs> But just, just to pause on a couple things right there, um, Dave said it last night and just kind of to highlight what kind of your mom was getting at there. He said, if you get one house to like make an investment, you essentially double your retirement. Um, that, that, that just by having one house like puts you in a whole different tier and trajectory that is life-changing now and like, in the future over long enough time horizon. And it's just kind of like getting on that path. Like you're on a path and the path you're on is going somewhere. And you just want to try to make sure that you're getting on the right path as quick as possible because the number one asset is time. Time compounds, you know, whatever path you're on. And so, you know, I basically like hearing that very similar thing from Dave and then kind of what your mom was saying, like you need to get on this path because this path is going over here. So I like that yeah. you said that. yeah. Honestly, like my mom has always been someone that's given really good advice, but you know, she's like your mom. So she's always nagging you like, you know, I'm not going to listen, but I'm I'm really glad that I listened to her this time because uh, it was totally worth it. Honestly, I got in at a really good time. Like uh, I put an offer on the house right before everything closed. Um, so that meant like not, not, this is when the market had like 15 to 20 offers on every single house. And they were selling like the next day in Seattle, which is insanity, right? So because of COVID, like people weren't allowed to go and visit homes. So people weren't putting on offers on homes that they had never seen the inside of before. Um, also like for my home that I ended up purchasing, there was a zero inspection contingency clause. So basically it was like, if you want to buy the house, you need to have an inspector come today and basically put your offer in by the end of the day. So, oh my gosh. Yeah. Absolutely crazy market. The, the good thing is because it was COVID, I wasn't going to the PT clinic because we were closed. So I had all this time. So I was like, okay, well, if I'm going to do this, I was talking to my realtor and she like had a really good connection with an inspector. So we all did it one day, sent it in. And uh, yeah, I got the house that I'm in now by the blessing of God and, you know, praise him for everything that I have right now. Cause there was, several other homes that I that I thought were like the home that I was going to have. And now that I look back on that, I was like, man, that would have been like a house hack that could have worked, but it wouldn't have been as good as like what I have now. So yeah, bought the home. Actually, like talked to a lot of my um, friends that were I was living with and they were like, no, we actually really like the home we're going to live in. So I was like, OK, that's fine. I like we'll still hang out at your home, but I ended up moving into here and then the church I go to, it was pretty easy to find other people to move in because our church has a lot of transients. 
So I found like a lot of um, travel nurses that wanted to come. Um, and just on, on, on Facebook, I just found a lot of friends that like had a lot of things in common. And eventually I had a, a three bedroom house. So it's two beds upstairs, one bed downstairs. And I was like, you know, there's a, there's a living room downstairs and it has double doors. Like it's not that bad. I can take a coat rack, set it up. And at, at this time I started listening to the bigger pockets podcast as well. And you hear some of these guys that do extreme house hacks where it's like, it's a four bedroom house. They rent out all four bedrooms and they're like living on their couch. And I was like, yeah, you know, it's not as bad as living on the couch or you have all four bedrooms rented out, but right. I actually like was planning on doing that. Then one of the guys that moved in and he's like, no, I actually want that space to like work from home. And I don't mind that it doesn't have a closet. It like has enough space where I can set up a desk and like a TV. And I'm like, okay, well, I'm going to charge you more for that because it's more square footage. And he was perfectly fine with that. So it ended up, (laughs) it ended up working great in the long run. Um, that's awesome. So you did the roommate house hack where you were living in the same, you know, floor plan and you had roommates in the rooms. Uh, last night, Stacy, Stacy had roommates, Jessica had roommates, I had roommates, um, you know, in the same house. So, you know, that's sometimes you just got to do it. And like a lot of people are kind of adverse or maybe nervous about it or nervous about being a landlord, but then living in the property. Can you, Mm. did you have any sort of like awkwardness of like, this is my house, but like, we all live here. Like, did you have any of that with the roommates? Um, I personally didn't, but I also spent a lot of time getting to know the people before I had them move in. Um, and I didn't just have random people move into the house. So, um, I wanted to make sure I got along with them and they were kind of all on board. So actually two of the guys were in my church group already. Um, their landlord was basically like, Hey, we're remodeling our house. So we're not going to have a lease. And the timing worked out perfectly for both of them to move in. And then the third guy was the guy that was just looking for a change in a uh, situation of the place he was living at. And he's like, actually like your living environment is something that I'm like more looking forward to. Um, so then that's how like we brought him in. So I, I, I didn't have any challenges and I'm very like blessed by that, but not to say that you can't. That's why That's why I think if you're going to house hack, it's very important that you vet the people that you rent to. And like right now, I'll go into this part of the story. Right now we rent our basement and it's very important that we vet every single person that comes in. So that way it's not getting destroyed. All right. All right. Cool. 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 All right. Back to your story. Back to your story. So, okay. so you put, put everybody in the rooms and then you're sleeping in the, the double door, like, you know, living room area. Okay. So you're doing you no, that no, for like so, a year, two years. So my, my friend was living in the double door area because he wanted okay. more space, but he was willing to pay more for it too. So I was like, oh, that's a win. And I get a bedroom now. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Perfect. Um, But one thing or one suggestion I have is like, if you do have a house hack, like putting, or, or if you're going to do the rent by the room strategy, making sure that each of the doors has like a key lock. So it's like, okay, you are still sharing the house. You still share the common space. But like you, you still have privacy because you can lock the door and no one can come into your room when you're not there. Or if you're in the room and, and you, you want that, you can lock them out. So um, the way that's, I that's managed, tip. the way I managed like the rent is instead of like splitting the utilities, because some sometimes um, like if they can be higher or lower, I just I just uh, took the average of what we were paying at my previous house and I was like, okay, well, this house is smaller, but you know, if everyone is um, 
using more than they should, maybe it'll maybe it'll average out to be approximately what the cost of utilities was at the previous place. So I just added up all the expenses and just divided it by four. And I added that to the cost of rent. And I was like, hey, it's going to be this much um, to live here. And and people were on board with that. So yeah, it worked well. Yeah, kind of kind of that more uh, flat, flat pricing, like you put like your internet utilities and like just flat pricing. Yeah. Yeah. And it made it really easy. Like I'll go to Costco and I'll pick up like toilet paper or like paper towels for the house. And it's like, well, it doesn't really cost me anything extra because I'll just put it into that fund. And the people that you live with are happy because it's like, oh, you're not running out of supplies, like the basic supplies that you need at home. Yeah. So it's, so it's coming to the common use items, just uh, disposable stuff like that. You're kind of, kind of keeping that stocked for everybody. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Dude, that's so uh, during this time, like when I had my house, I was dating my wife, but she was living in a different house. Um, and when we were getting married, we were trying to determine like, what do we want to do? Cause the, I think the common house hack strategy is okay. You buy it, you can rent, rent out. If you're doing rent by the room, you're living in one. And then once you have enough, uh, income or you, uh, build enough to get another down payment, you can do the same thing over and over. Well, being married is a little bit different than being single. And there's some people that want to want to share a house and share rooms when they're married. Um, and it's very lucrative to be able to do that. But my wife was definitely not on board with that plan. So we, we had basically two options. We had the option to one, move out and like maybe go rent for something that was going to be like way more affordable, like uh, because we didn't want to pay the whole mortgage, just her and I, because this is a, like, I wouldn't, I wouldn't call my house massive, but we don't, we don't need a three bedroom house as just two people. And and we kind of came up with that, her and I just, especially living in the Seattle area, we were more than happy to rent a one bedroom apartment in the city um, and kind of split the difference in rent upstairs uh, and, and split and split the rent between the rental and where we are. But ultimately we, we determined after we got married that we were going to move into the house and um, based on the layout of my house, again, by the grace of God, I was able to actually convert the laundry room downstairs into like a tiny kitchen. So what we ended up doing oh. was just making it a split level ADU. So now the the downstairs renter come in through the downstairs entrance and we come in through the upstairs. And the only time that we would interact or like see the renter is like if we needed to go to the laundry room um, or to their tiny kitchen. The The cool thing is though, because... I did rent by the room before all the doors still had locks on them. So the renter was like, well, yeah, like the laundry room before was a common space. So all they had to do was lock basically all the doors and only I could go into the common space if I was going to do laundry. So uh, it worked really well. It, it was a big investment to put into like kind of, we had to renovate the downstairs a little bit, like make it more tidy and clean it up. And then um, obviously to renovate the bathroom. Um, but I would say from the year of actually doing the house hack originally, I was able to cover all of the costs of the renovation downstairs. So it's been pretty sweet since then. Yeah. So now, now essentially our strategy is we do midterm rentals. We, we try and find, uh, travel nurses just because travel nurses tend to one, like, obviously they have to be vetted to get like a contract, like within their organization and, if they have a contract, you know, they're going to get paid. So, you know, they're going to have enough money to, to pay you for living in your house. So um, we went out essentially the entire downstairs. We try and do three months at a time. Um, we've had people extend for six months. We've had contractors hate their contract and, and quit halfway. And, you know, you kind of get that, that wrench thrown at you. Um, but what I try to do is 
at least do a safety deposit where I have like a two week buffer and I write that into the lease where it's like, hey, if you need to cancel, like part of your security deposit goes towards covering rent if if I can't fill it in that immediate time when you're moving out. So trying to put a lot of safety blankets in, I think is is really important in the lease that you're writing. Um, and um, there's so many suggestions and ideas that I have for various people. And I've asked so many different people that house hack, like, hey, what ideas do you have um, that to put into the lease to make sure you're covering your butt? Yeah, and one thing to point out, um, so, so just like categorically here, so a midterm rental or also a medium term rental is going to be a rental generally greater than 30 days, less than a year. So anywhere between like 30 days, six month range is going to be a medium term rental. Um, one thing to consider is that a lot of homeowners associations, you know, city government, whatever, they, they may not allow short term rentals. They may not allow um, medium term rentals um, as like a property. The cool thing about what Greg is doing, because that room is technically part of his house that he lives in. So he's not restricted by the same like rules and guidelines because he's just like renting out, you know, essentially a room. It's an additional dwelling unit, um, but basically it's just a separate area of his home. And so there's a lot more leniency on kind of, you know, the, the rules for that. And then in addition, what you told me that I didn't consider is that when you're a landlord and you're putting a house up and people are filling out applications, you're kind of held by the uh, Fair Housing Act and uh, uh, equality in housing rules to where like you can't just deny someone for, for not a real reason if they're qualified um, to rent your property. Um, but in Greg's case, because it's kind of part of his home, he's pretty much able to deny anyone for any reason because it's transient housing where you have payment and it's transient housing. And basically he could kick somebody out for, 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 you know, basically any reason. So can you kind of, you know, talk through that a little bit? Cause you were telling me about that and I found it super valuable. Yeah. I actually didn't find this until I uh, was looking at renting the downstairs basement, but exactly to your point, um, because I live at the property with my wife, like we are allowed to screen any tenant. So there's honestly, Seattle is one of the strictest places for uh, landlord tenant laws. And there's some stupid rules where it's like, if the tenant moves into your place and like, there's no lease, like you can't evict them um, because like they, they have housing there. And it's like, well, that's crazy. But because I live in the place, um, I don't know like what the statute is for, like why we can do that, but it gives you a lot more um, power as to like screening, screening tenants. So like, if you look at someone and they like can't physically pay like you rent, I can be like, no, I don't want to have you. Or if you're like someone that, I, I don't know, like someone that has a dog, I can be like, I don't want to have a dog in my house to like ruin everything. And I can screen you out too. Or if you bring a dog in halfway through, I can also kick you out for those things a lot easier. Exactly. You, you, you have a lot more control when like you're living there because it's still technically your home. You are renting out part of your home, but it's not that true like landlord tenant. I think it's more in line with hotels where it's, um, they're a guest. <laughs> and when you're a guest, you, you don't have the same like squatter rights, housing rights, tenant rights, all that kind of things. So by doing that, it really reduces your risk to where you can be very, very, very picky um, in who you select and allow in your home. 
Precisely, precisely. And honestly, I think that's part of the reason why we haven't really had any issues um, with our house. Well, we, we've had some when we when we moved to Hawaii and rented out the whole house. Um, but when we've been living in the house, there's been very few issues, like all the people we talk to, like part of the vetting process that I'll do is like, not only like, vet, like verify their contract, but I will actually call their old landlords and make sure that like they were a good, like tenant when they were renting from other landlords as well. Um, and if someone says they weren't, then it's like, okay, sorry, I'm moving on to the next person, even though you like may say <laughs> that you're a good person, you know? Yeah, um, definitely. And then there's a kind of, you further reduce your risk by kind of looking for travel healthcare professionals. You have a, they have a license, they have a contract. So they're already going to be background checked. They're already like, you know, somewhat quality humans to be in with as that kind of helps you. Uh, just like geographically, did you when you were looking to buy your house, was it even on your radar? You know, how far you were from hospitals? Was that or anything? Was that even on your radar or not at that um, time? No, that wasn't. Honestly, I was looking more selfishly for myself. So I hate driving, honestly. I, I like, I don't mind it, but like if, if I can minimize the time I have to drive, that's great. Um, and in Seattle, we have so much like side street traffic that it can take a lot of time to get to the freeway. So I told my realtor, I was like, if I can be as close to like the freeway, so that way I have to minimize like cross city driving as possible. That's great. So that's kind of like what I was looking for. But at the same time that opened an opportunity because a lot of the major hospitals aren't going to be like super far off the freeway because you need to get north, south, east, west on a big highway. So it opened up really easy opportunities for people to get to the hospital from the house if they were to drive. Um, but also, like I was saying, I, I got very lucky where my house isn't terribly far from the light rail station that they built. So a lot of travelers oh. that have come in will drive their car to the park and ride. It's free. And then they will take the train to the hospital instead of paying the whatever five or ten dollars it is every day to park at the hospital. So they're saving a ton of money doing that. Gotcha, dude. That man, I love that. Uh, so for for do you want to go into a little bit of kind of the the nitty gritty of like how did you figure out what to rent it for like did you did you kind of look on furnish finder did you look on groups how did you figure out hey this is what we're going to try to get for monthly rent yeah yeah totally so i i approached it kind of in two ways so the first way i was like okay well this is going to be my mortgage and this is how much like I paid for utilities at my prior place. So at a minimum, I know I need to like charge this much to break even, right? Now, if you're renting by the room, you should, the goal isn't just to break even because, or renting in any way, the goal isn't to break even because if you're breaking even, eventually something's going to break. And then you need to have like, uh, like your personal expenses or an emergency fund to pay for that. So I think what I did, I ended up using, I think the 50% rule, Tommy, and then you can correct me on this one if I'm wrong, but you take your mortgage and then you divide that by half, which is 50% of your mortgage. And you basically put that away as what should be the expenses to cover like maintenance and repairs as well as utilities. So essentially I just based on, okay, estimate, like that's what bigger pockets told me. I just took that information and I came up with, all right, I'm going to basically rent the house for that much. Um, and then from there, I divided it by four when I was renting to all four roommates because it was like, well, let's make it fair. Like if I'm the landlord, I shouldn't be paying any less than you guys are. Um, and we just split it four ways. Gotcha. Yeah. So so average 
operator as a landlord, your average expenses is about 43% um, without utilities. So you add in utilities and you're probably right about 50%. So that's like, that's a great, just like quick rule of thumb of kind of targeting those numbers there. Um, but, but when you're looking at renting the basement, how did you figure out what to price that at? Oh yeah, that's a really good question. So I was going to live in the basement um, for the same price, just, just because um, there was no like closet there or anything like that. Um, and I felt that because there was no closet and it was a little bit more open space and not like a bedroom, I was just going to price it the same. So when the roommate that moved into there said they wanted it because it had like more square footage, I was like, oh, well, if you want it because you have more square footage, that actually means there's an advantage that you see in the room. And like, I'm going to charge you for that because now I don't get that right. Like you're taking that away right. from me. So, um, I basically like proposed it to him and, you know, I was fully in it. Like if he was going to say no to rent it to him for the same, because it would have worked out, but he was like, yeah, that works. So. Cool. No, but, yeah. um, when you're doing medium term rental, like the travel nurses. Ah, uh, yeah. Yeah. So for a medium term rental, now that we rent downstairs, it's a little bit tricky because it. It depends on the time of the year. So in Seattle, like no one wants to come here during the fall, like right now when it's nasty or during the winter, unless they're like a really big skier or snowboarder, um, or they really like have like, or, or they're, they're getting paid like super bills at like the hospital. But I would say like this time of the year is a little bit more difficult, but then in the summer, everyone wants to come here because it's so beautiful in Seattle in the summertime. So I kind of adjust it accordingly based on the season. Um, but like what I do is there's a Facebook page called the Seattle Travel Nurses and maybe like where you're at as well, there's um, a, a travel page there. And I just compare it to, okay, like these are the rental properties in my area. This is what they're offering. And ours is very similar to what they have. And I'll kind of price it based on that. Now I'll try and make it either a little bit less or I'll have to talk about the positives of our property compared to some of the other ones to try and get them to buy or not buy, but rent from us compared to the other ones. Um, but I think one of the ways that I do that is like we, Sarah, Sarah and I, we built our garage into like a gym. So like if people rent from us, they have access to use the gym. So they don't have to drive to a gym. They can use that at home, which is like a free perk. Um, the other, the other thing is like, we have a hospital, like a five minute walk from our house. So if you're there, it like is a no brainer that you can like go right to that hospital. So, um, I would say I based it on, yeah, just like what other travel nurses are renting for. And in order to like, find out like what they're renting for, I just went on, um, the Facebook group to look at that. Um, I think you can go on like the furnished finder website and you can also see what they're renting for in that area as well. Um, which is pretty cool. But um, I think Tommy may have gotten cut off here. Um, I think one thing that I want to talk about next. Oh, he, he's, do you have any questions about that, Tommy? Yeah. So, so I am actually going to pull up. So everything you're saying is super practical because the whole point of the medium term travel nurse. So if you're thinking about it from a travel nurse's perspective, what they're looking for is confident that the space that they're, you know, logging on to rent is one real and the person like operating it is legit and they're not getting scammed. There's a lot of travelers that got scammed um, on like fake listings and stuff. And the reason is because Furnish Finder is not actually a, like on Airbnb. So when you go on Airbnb and you book somewhere, 
there's the host side, there's the client side, and Airbnb is kind of the broker of the transaction. Your money goes to Airbnb, Airbnb like sends it to the host and like kind of brokers the deal. Whereas Furnish Finder doesn't doesn't do that. Furnish Finder is basically like kind of like Craigslist, kind of like a job like a, a a housing listing board. So they don't um, you know they don't protect the guests, they don't really protect the the landlords. And there is some verification, you know, when you go to be applying, but when you send the money, the money goes straight from the guest to the, the, the person booking it. And they have a partner. You can like run your, um, they, they, they can run their, you can use their partner to collect your rent, but you can also use a different platform. So like we, we've used tenant cloud, um, as our own platform to, collect rent, sign leases, stuff like that. Um, so let me share my screen here and just kind of show everybody. So this is Furnish Finder. If you don't know what it is, just Furnish Finder. And one of the easiest things to do to get a ballpark of, of, of what you're looking for is to just search the area. So like I'm down here in Tampa, Florida. So we'll do Tampa, Florida, and we'll say we'll move in in... Uh, I don't know, January the 15th. What about that? January the 15th, um, we'll just leave the budget open and we'll search the map. And what we can do is we can put some filters on here. So I'm going to look for, uh, you know, a room and somewhere that allows pets. And we're going to pull up the map here. So what you can do is you can just kind of scroll around and kind of see and click on uh, some of these places. So here's this place for 900, here's this place for 1750, here's 750, and you can kind of zoom in to where your um, property would be. So you can kind of come over here and you say, okay, well, I'm looking at this house over here. This one's a thousand, this one's 1250, 1200, 1250. Um, of course you can click on them, zoom in, kind of see what the situation is. But this is a quick a quick way to just get a general ballpark. Are we talking like five hundred dollars a month? Or are we talking two thousand dollars a month? Just to kind of get get a little bit of a range. Um, and then once you have once you have it dialed down of what what you think it might be, you can create an account on Furnish Finder, and you can list a property, even if you don't have a property, or even if you're not sure about listing it all the way you can go ahead and list the property and see if you get people messaging you about it. If you list a property for a month and you get zero messages, no tenant leads, no nothing, then you know, okay, the price is too high. Because what's cool about Furnish Finder is you go on tenant leads. So like we have our setup in Jacksonville, Florida. You go on tenant leads and for our property, direct booking requests, we don't have any right now because it's on. It's booked up on Airbnb through the end of the year, so there's not a lot of availability. Um, but general housing requests. So you get these three kind of buckets on the Furnish Finder platform, where the general housing request is people coming to your area that meet your criteria. So like this guy Kyle, I can click on him, and it gives me a little bit of a scoop. So Kyle's coming these dates. He's got two travelers. This is his budget. Here's a little you know description here. And so you can kind of get a sense. So even if I put my property on here and I listed for $6,000 a month, I would still be able to see all of these. And I'd say, okay, this guy's coming for 2,400. Um, okay, this person's coming 2,000, 2,400. 
Um, and then you get to see the unmatched housing requests. So these are the ones that don't line up with your property. So if you go on here and this person says, okay, their budget's under 1,200. This person's budget, 1,600 to 2,000. This person's budget under 1,200. You can kind of get a sense of like what kind of people are, you, you can start to get a sense of what kind of people are coming to your area, what their budgets, what their criteria are. So then you know, okay, is this, is what I'm thinking even close? Because like you said, if someone says, hey, my budget is 1600, but then you say, oh, we have a gym, you can walk to work, we're right by the light rail, all these amenities, they might suddenly be willing to pay $2,000 a month um, because you're kind of selling you know, that premium experience. Um, and then on top of it, um, on Furnish Finder, you include the utilities into your price to make it a flat rate. Um, some of the pricing on Furnish Finders does not include utilities. So you do have to look at that when you're kind of trying to ballpark um, you know, what you're doing there. Uh, do have a comment in the chat here from the Financially Fit RN. Uh, what's up, Mr. Anthony? You should go follow him. All about financial literacy and just serving uh, healthcare folks. Thanks for joining. Uh, he said that Brian, CEO of Furnish Finder, said that he knows of some developments in the pricing tools for 30 to 90 days, midterm rentals, think AirDNA, Rabu, et cetera, for short-term rentals. Yeah, so so this kind of medium-term rental market is um really emerging now. And so there's not, you know, the tools are kind of emerging um, as we speak. Um, but that's kind of, so, so what I kind of showed you is kind of a way to use the map and make an account and kind of look at the leads. And then Greg was telling you, okay, go on Facebook, log on, find your Travel Nurse Seattle group. Um, and then that's kind of a, a boots on the ground, more personal way to build those connections and find those clients. Oh, what's up, dude? <laughs> uh, uh, Anthony here is, are you guys under contract for that house, right? Because you guys are trying to do a, a medium-term rental in the Charlotte region. They were looking at a duplex and then it um, fell through. I think you were had another one in the works, right? Yeah. Is it okay if I come on real quick? Yeah, dude. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, so... We're, was on a con uh, under contract uh, earlier this year, just a couple months ago, and then uh, shortly after that, we went back on under contract on another one. Uh, fortunately, we actually like this location a lot better, and so far everything's been great. It appraised, and the inspection didn't have any major red flags, so I think we're a go, and we should be closed by the end of the month. So, and then I'll be starting my you know short term, you know midterm rental uh, experience and kind of take it from there. Dude, that is so exciting. That's so exciting. Yeah. That's what, cause you're, cause the one you're getting is going to be a duplex, right? So you're going to live in the one side yeah. and then kind of, you know, furnish finder Airbnb out the other side. Yeah. That's the plan. So we'll be, you know, house hacking it in more of like the traditional sense, you know, just unit by unit, <laughs> but it's uh it's pretty interesting duplex because really the only thing that connects it is a walkway. Um, so they're like almost two different buildings. So it'll definitely give us some privacy as well as the tenants, which will be nice. And remind me, you're married or engaged? Yes. Yes. So it's with my wife. So it'll be a, a joint venture. And uh, yeah, it'll be it'll be a great experience for us. But yeah, Tommy, you've been super helpful along the way. 
you know, very gracious <laughs> and, you know, offered, you know, your help in any way you can. So this guy definitely also follow him. He is, uh, he is someone that's doing it and also very <laughs> happy to share the knowledge. Yeah, dude, that's the key, man, is just trying to share the knowledge. Cause like, sometimes like, I don't know, sometimes some of these people you go to look at and you feel like they're trying to pull one over on you or trying to like, you know, do all this crazy stuff. But like, you know, me, Greg, you, sir, we're all just, we're just doing it and they're just kind of sharing the nuggets we're learning and just kind of, you know, being a little more casual about it. <laughs> yeah, but, um, no, that's, uh, it's definitely great to have people like that you can relate to and follow and, and learn from. So appreciate you. I'm glad I can tune in for a little bit, but I'll uh, let you get <laughs> yeah, back man. to it. Oh, perfect. Thanks. Yeah, man. So um, when it comes to kind of the medium term rental, furnishing it for, um, you know, more of your transient housing situation, what are kind of like three tips you would give for kind of when you're picking out furniture, stuff you've got to have in the kitchen? Um, like, like, what are some kind of, you know, things that you said, oh, dude, we got to put those in there? Oh, I love this question. Uh, I actually just like helped my parents furnish one of their their rentals recently too. So um, oh, in Seattle, we have this this group called Buy Nothing. Um, oftentimes it's people getting rid of actually really good stuff if you live in a really good area um, or my parents do. So I'll just go on there, buy nothing and be like, oh, someone's giving away like a thousand dollar couch for free. It's like, yeah, I can I can go pick that up. So I'll, I'll often just like look for free things that are like nice. Obviously, I don't want to get things that are run down. Um, and I don't have this big like eye for like in, in, um, what, interior design, but my wife does. So she'll like go go and like pick up some stuff that's like very easy, plain, simple. And I would say the biggest thing is you want things that are going to like be easy to clean. And then if they break, they don't really like lose a lot of their value. So I'll go to like Goodwill for their plates and forks and cups because it's not like a traveler is going to pick up a plate and be like oh my gosh this is not crate and barrel or whatever um they're just there to to work and have a place to ultimately like come in and sleep that feels comfortable and homely so um, yeah so that's a really good point is that if you're again when you put on your hat you say who is coming to this property it is not a luxury airbnb vacation escape that is not the person that you're like furnishing and marketing tour it is like it is like a nuts and bolts a place to lay your head um you know kind of client and, and a lot of them are usually budget minded um so you don't want to go out spend you know fifteen thousand on a bunch of furniture um yeah things that are easy to clean goodwill i love that well uh keep going sorry yeah, I mean, I was just gonna say, even like when we when we renovated the downstairs, it was like, okay, well, I'm not gonna put the nice trim on all the walls because you know if they like have animals or people bring that over and they scuff it up, that's kind of a waste of money. Or like the flooring, like if you're gonna do flooring, like uh, laminate or luxury vinyl plank, it's like essentially water resistant. So if they spill on it, it's really easy to clean up. Um, but just like even being conscious about like how you're gonna remodel, it's like uh, oftentimes if you if you market it as being the very luxury creme de la creme place, well, you're only going to be able to attract that certain portion of the market. And um, I wanted to attract like all the people to make it easier to rent and have more people that wanted to come. So. Yeah. One, a couple tips that I have heard um, that we incorporated into our property um, is blackout curtains. 
Um, cause if you're having a traveler that's working night shift, that having blackout curtains is like super important. Although it sounds like in Seattle, it's just dark all the time and miserable. So, <laughs> um, but, but down here in Florida, having blackout curtains is really important. Um, and then for the bedding linens in sheets, do not do white or light gray or light, whatever, but you want dark colored, um, linens and sheets. So kind of dark grays, navies, blacks, um, that that you know stain resistant if because you're going to wash them and you know clean everything uh your towels you want your towels to be a dark color um that those are just um those two and then for what was the other thing uh the mattress that if you're going to splurge on one item in the whole property splurging on the mattress is going to be the way to go um even if you go on you know amazon and get those like foam mattresses that you cut open or like the purple mattresses or whatever, like splurging on a really good mattress that can make or break, um, kind of your reviews. Cause if you think about it, like reviews, one of the, oh, the beds were so comfy. Oh, the bed was too hard. Oh, the bed was terrible. Like if you're disrupting someone's sleep, they're not, they're not going to like their stay. Um, so those are like the top three things that I've kind of heard, um, that we try to incorporate. Yeah, I want to echo on that point of reviews. Like, I would say that getting your first renter is the hardest because there's no reviews to go off at you. You, when they're talking to you, they don't know are you a scammer? Are they gonna get like, um, are, yeah, are you they they gonna get their money's worth? But once you have someone, then they have a really good experience. Um, especially if you like treat them really well and they really appreciate like like your place, even if like the, like your house isn't the best one on the block, but if you like have really good service, like they ask you for things and you responding really well, when you go and ask them for a review for like other people that are interested in your place, like what I'll do is I'll actually like ask all of my previous renters. I'll be like, Hey, this person's coming in They're a travel nurse. Is it okay if I give them your contact information for them to either text or call you and ask them about your experience when you were here? And um, because I, I've had the opportunity to have really good tenants because I can screen them, like all of them are like five star, like, oh, absolutely. I'll, I'll talk to anyone that you send me, like, just because they're more than happy to do that. Ooh, yeah, okay, I mean, let's see. Um, and then, and then on top of that, and then on top of that, um, if someone if someone is coming off of a travel contract, sometimes there's someone coming in to like overlap or like come behind them. And so incentivizing your current or past tenants to like recommend the person that might be coming behind them is kind of another good way to like chain together kind of consecutive stays. Yeah, yeah. So I would say for myself, the best way that I've gotten a review and, and most of the travel nurses I've gotten haven't actually been from Furnished Finder. They've been from the Facebook group um, just because it's a private right. group. And you have to kind of vet yourself too. But I'll be like, hey, I'm putting a post up and then I'll message all of like the previous travelers that I've been with. And I'll be like, hey, I just put this one up. Would you mind just commenting? Then like, oh, I was here like last summer. Um, I'm staying. Uh, it was really good. So that way when people go and see the post, it's like they can read all the information, but then they see like three or four other people that have been under that, that are like, oh, I lived here and it's a trusted place. Um, then it's like, all right, well, maybe it's more out of my price range, but if it's a trusted place and these people had a good experience, maybe I'd be willing to pay for what that is. Exactly. It's all about that comfy, cozy confidence. That's for sure. Uh, have you ever had to like FaceTime someone to like, you know, show the place? I've heard that 
you know, some landlords have had to do that before just to like verify like you're real, the place is real. It's not a dump. Yeah, honestly, I just do that as a courtesy for everyone, just because I think there are a lot of scammers out there. So I'll come on and like show myself and like talk about like what Sarah and I do. And then I'll actually give them a video tour of the place because, you know, when you put a post online, you obviously are trying to put the best pictures, right? And that's going to attract them to your page and, and get them to make that call in the first place. But I want to be real with the person and not sell them a lie. So I'll actually go through and do a video like walkthrough and show them the entire place so they know exactly what they're getting into. Because a lot of these travelers may be coming from another state and they've never seen the place or they don't have a chance to look at it before making a decision. And again, that helps with like the credibility of the, the people that are coming in. Like if they are confident that what you're showing them is what they're going to get, they're not going to be upset when, oh, it looked way nicer on like the pictures. I'm sure everyone's had that Airbnb where it looks really nice. Yeah. And then you find your life. Oh man, this like place is half finished. So. <laughs> oh no. Cool. Cool. All right, man. Well, dude, we're kind of, we're, we're kind of coming up on the time here. Um, I, I greatly appreciate, you know, you coming on, sharing your story. I like that we had a little bit of discussion here. I think that anyone that is looking to get into that market, I think you provided some really tangible, you know, tips and tricks there. I love what you're saying about the Facebook group. That's such a good idea. Yeah, honestly, I, I feel like a lot of these things, I just, I don't know. It's like trial and error. You see what works, see what doesn't work. Um, and when things work, oftentimes I just keep going with them. Also, like the people that you want to rent to, like they know the market the best. So like when I was looking to furnish the place, I actually went on the, that Facebook group and I was like, hey, if you're a travel nurse and you were looking for a place, like what furnishings would you want in it? And then I just had a list of all of them respond. It's like, oh, these are the things that I really like. And then I was like, okay, this is what I'm going to go buy. So just, just ask your audience what they want. And this goes for honestly any business as well. I do the exact exactly, same thing yep. in, in yeah. like I do for physical therapy for the skiers. I ask the skiers, what do they want? They tell me, and that's all the content I make. So if you know what your audience wants and you are able to fulfill that, then they're going to be really happy with the end product that you have. So. Dude. Well, thank you so much. So much value. Um, guys go give Greg a follow. He's the underscore ski underscore PT. Is that correct? That's right. Yeah. Yep. Uh, on Instagram, his content is awesome. Like just awesome. We'll have to, we'll have, to have you back on the podcast another time and kind of uh, hear the other side of the story, kind of the healthcare leadership, cash pay practice, entrepreneur. Um, we'll have to make that like another episode <laughs> in the future. Yeah, dude. I, both of them are honestly such fun and cool stories that um, yeah, it, it's like where I am today. And I, I love the life that I have today. Not to say that I didn't like it when I was in insurance-based care, because I really did. But I think I was just kind of blind as to like how much more freedom, time freedom I could have now that I'm, that I am an entrepreneur. For example, like coming on and doing this at three o'clock in the afternoon Pacific time, I would have never been able to do that if I was working in the clinic. Exactly. Exactly. Cool. All right. Well, thanks so much, man. I'm going to stop the recording here.